Luke 9 and 28 says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and James with him and he went up onto a mountain to pray. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, everybody say fully awake. Fully awake. Nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. Look at him, point at him, call him out. Say, wake up, wake up. When they became fully awake, they saw his what? What'd they see? His glory. You know, church, that the sleepy and the slumbered won't see what's happening in the spirit? I'll say it again. Those who are dead, those who are asleep, don't see what is happening in the spirit. It goes on to say here, it says, and the two men standing with him, uh, it says, uh, they, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter says to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we have the same translation, right? What does it say? He did not know what he was saying. I bet Peter felt pretty dumb. That in this book of Luke, Luke had to write it in parentheses. And he's like, yeah, I was there. I saw Peter. I saw Moses and I saw Elijah and Jesus. And you know what? Peter had no idea what he was talking about. Luke felt so impressed to like call his brother out and be like, dude, this guy has no idea what's going on right now. And there's times that this actually happens in the church. You're in the middle of a move. And you think, oh, I need to do this. You think, oh, I need to go there. Oh, I need to, I need to have this. Oh, I got to do this. I got to build three shelters so that I can camp out here all day. He did not know what he was saying. He had no idea what was going on. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And verse 35 says, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Can I just give you a word of advice tonight? Anytime God's voice comes out of a cloud to speak to you, it's probably a good thing to, to listen. Amen. Amen? I mean, just picture it. This is my son. Whom I have chosen. That's my God impression, sorry. Listen to him. If God would take the time to give them this experience, it was for a purpose. The purpose wasn't to put up three shelters. The purpose was to listen to what he had to say. It was to know the moment. It was to understand exactly what it was that, that was actually happening in their life. Amen? The disciples witnessed this awesome moment. And the first inclination of Peter is to camp out. It's the first thing that he thinks of. He's like, oh, man. Hey, you know what, John, let's pitch a tent, bro. We're going to sit right here, and we're going we're gonna to build these shelters over them, and we're never going to leave this moment. This is awesome. He misinterpreted the moment. And there's a lot of people that are in a glorious moment just like that, and they completely misinterpret what it's for. 
They say, oh man, I got mine. I went to the house of God and God filled my life and he touched me and he blessed me and oh, I feel so good. And they go right back home and they take the glory with them back to their home, but they treat their spouse horrible. They treat their kids horrible. They go to their workplace and they're grumpy all the time. They, they go out amongst the street and they act just like the world. So then what was the point of the glory? What was the point of the glory if not to transform you so that the world could see the glory of God inside of your life? You see, it was never meant to be just an instance or an experience or an encounter that we were supposed to just bottle up and keep for ourselves. The moment was to hear the voice of God. To hear what the Lord was wanting to do in their life. And sometimes, church, we want to wrap up the glory of God and we want to hang on to these moments because they are awesome. They're powerful. They're so, you know, amazing. Amen. It's, it's powerful to feel the glory of God around you. Amen. It's, it's a powerful thing to experience the presence of God. But listen, if man had his way with God's glory, he would bottle it up and sell it. He would do exactly what they did on that day where Jesus had to walk into the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers. Because they were selling doves in the temple and they thought that somehow they could turn the temple into a place that they wanted to have control over and do what they wanted to do with God's glory. And God walked in there himself. Jesus walked in there. God in the flesh and it's like, no, sir, this is not what my house was intended for. And this is not what my glory is intended for. And I have to tell you this in a stern way, church. Listen, the glory is not to be messed with. The, the glory of God is not to be something that we just tamper with and we just get used to just basking in the, in the wells of God, basking in the fountain of God's glory. Listen, we need to be responsible with what God has given us. Responsible with what the Lord is doing in our life. If man had his way with God's glory, it would somehow turn into self-promotion. Because, oh, well, when I preached, this happened. Oh, well, when I laid hands on them, oh, this happened. No, 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 no. God will remove himself from that place so quick. The Bible says that he opposes proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Listen to me, church. It is a powerful thing that the Lord is doing here. But don't boast in it. Don't boast in it. Give God glory. Give him all praise. Thank him that he steps into the room. Thank him that he moves in the way that he does. Amen. Because listen, the purpose of that moment, it wasn't for Peter's glory. It wasn't for Peter's glory. It was only for building the kingdom of God. It was so Peter could get equipped with God's voice. So Peter could get equipped with his word and with his power so that on the day of Pentecost... On the day of Pentecost, he could fulfill the assignment to open his mouth and preach the word of God to all the people. You see, that experience was to lead him to listen to Jesus. Are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? The reason this is crucial is because he has an assignment for your life. He has an assignment for each and every one of us. And guess what? That assignment is to be carriers of the glory of God in the earth. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. This is Peter preaching. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life. You know, Peter puts the gospel in like two verses. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. 
Verse 33 says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, witnessing the glory of God should cause you to be a witness. I'll say it one more time. Witnessing the glory of God should cause you to be a witness. But here's the deal. You can't witness what you haven't seen. You cannot witness what you haven't seen. You see, if you were here on Sunday and, and your eyes, your spiritual eyes, your hearts were closed, your, 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 your eyes were closed to, to the Lord and what the Lord wanted to do, then how can you witness? How can you tell? How can you speak of that glorious presence of God? How can you speak of the one in whom you do not know? How can you speak of the one of whom you do not know? And listen, this is largely why people that fill churches week in and week out are not fulfilling the Great Commission is because you can't speak of what you haven't seen. This is why man has resorted to entertainment and man's resorted to all kinds of, you know, frills and gimmicks to get people inside church. Hey, we got free coffee. Oh, well, you get a Bible if you show up. Hey, you bring 10 friends and we'll give you a Starbucks card. And they're resorting to things just to get bodies inside of a church. But listen, I, I would hate to be, you know, uh, on the end of what Jesus said. He's like, you're a whitewashed tomb. He's like, your lips offer me lip service, but your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. This is why people literally will hear the word week in and week out, and they do nothing with it. They do nothing with it, and it's such a shame. It is such a shame. Do you know, church, that you have the greatest news in the world? We have the greatest news in the world. I'm tired of the news. I'm tired of the channels. I'm tired of TV, man. You know what? I, I just literally cut off TV in my house. I was like, you know what? Enough. This is ridiculous. You want to know why? Because it's nothing but but perverted, you know, uh, fake trash that, 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 is, that is, is, a, is a portal of poison into your home. Can I say that? That's the truth. That's the truth. You get on the Internet, you, you know, you, 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 you're there. And, you know, why do you think it's named the World Wide Web? Oh, I, I guess you didn't think about that. Because it has more to do with being a device for the enemy than it has to do with benefiting your life, period. Think about these things, church. Consider these things. Consider what the Lord is wanting you to know. Because listen, at the end of the day, he wants you to speak of what you have seen and what you have heard. John chapter 20 and verse 29 says this. Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed He's speaking to Thomas and he's speaking to the disciples. He said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me. Blessed are those who weren't there on the day that he was crucified. Blessed are those who actually didn't see it in the flesh, but you have seen the glory of God. He said, more blessed are you because, listen, you have not seen, but yet you still believe in Jesus. You weren't there when he carried his cross up the hill. I wasn't there when they were pounding nails into his hands and his feet. 
None of us were witnesses of that day. But listen, I still believe, church, that he is risen. Amen. I still believe that he is alive. And I still believe that the glory that we've seen, it's not just a feeling, church. It's a fact. A lot of people will argue with you and say, oh, yeah, you're just rolling around on the carpet in a church. Nothing really happened. Oh, my friend. Oh, if they only knew. If they only knew. Amen. If they only knew, you know, the carpet's not that nice to roll around on to begin with. Amen. If they only knew what was actually happening, it looks like foolishness to men. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that in, the, in that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon their lives, they, they told Peter, they said, man, what is wrong with these people? Are they drunk? And Peter stands up before all, every single one of them. He says, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit in their life. They're speaking in other tongues. They're speaking in other languages. The power of God is is moving all over them. And guess what? To man, it looks foolish. It looks like weird. I remember when I first came to church, I was a 15-year-old kid. And I walked into this church. And our church used to be on the other side of over there where the kids are. Man, and I walked into church here the first time, and my aunt tells me that there's a band in there playing, and I was like, okay, cool, you know, I'll go check it out. <laughs> that was my ticket to church, you know, that was my, my invitation. And so I come to church, and I hear it, and I don't really like the music. You know, I was, I, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't a fan, you know, because my mind was secular. My mind was carnal. And I'm standing there, and I'm listening, and they're doing their thing, you know, and you know, Linda was up there, Melody's mom was up there singing, and pastor was playing piano, and, and I see, you know, everybody, you know, singing these songs, you know, he's under my feet, he's under my feet, he's under my feet, and I'm watching, I'm going like, who? And what is this song even about? And then all of a sudden, worship would take off, and I'd hear people, you know, and I'm going like, is she stuck? Like, like, she buffering? Like, what's going on? You know, like, get the words out. You know, I thought she was stuttering. I had no idea. This is my flesh. This is, you know, the carnal mind. I didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, this 15-year-old kid standing in the midst of all this stuff that God was doing in the hearts and the lives of his people, the Lord began to tear that veil off my eyes. I began to see something. I could see light. I could see glory. I could, you know, see his presence. And all of a sudden, I didn't understand it. Made zero sense. And I'll never forget the time that the Lord saved my heart. He saved me in March of 1998 at an altar in a youth retreat thing that we did on that weekend. And and Sister Eva was there. I always point her out. Wave your hand, Eva. She prayed over my life that day. God used this woman of God. I used to love her because you know, when she'd teach on Wednesdays to our youth, she'd give out whole candy bars. She's like, who remembers the verse? I was like, me, I know it. You know, and I'd get a whole Snickers or whatever, you know. And like, I was like, man, I love you, Sister Eva. Like, you, you're the bomb. But she prayed over my life, and I had never felt what I felt in that moment, ever. In an instant, I felt a rush of love. I didn't know what love was. I didn't know who love was. I didn't know what love felt like until that moment. And the second thing that I felt was a complete million bajillion pounds just lifted off my life. 
free. Like I could breathe for the first time. Heaviness lifted off of my life. Why? Because I believed in Jesus. I believed in him. And guess what, church? Ever since that day, whether I knew the word well, because I didn't know it well at that time, and I didn't fully understand the gospel, and I didn't fully understand, you know, just hows and whys of the way the Lord works, and, and I didn't have language for what I felt in that moment. I was 100% convinced that I would live the rest of my days for this God that touched my life and saved my soul. I was 100% convinced that even if I didn't have language to explain it, I would testify of the one who did this work in my life. I would tell every single day of my life of the glory of God that touched my life, church. See, when you encounter his glory, this should be the result. Telling the world about Jesus. He's looking for a people who will listen to him. He's looking for a people who would follow his commands. His command for those who would call upon his name was to be a witness. Part of maintaining a lifestyle of, of the glory of God and in the glory of God isn't just staying planted, but it's producing fruit. Amen? It's producing fruit. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You are my witnesses, it says, and my servant who am I have chosen. He says, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. It says, before me, no God was formed and nor will there ever be one after me. He says, I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. He said, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, he says, and not some foreign God amongst you. He says, so you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. If you have encountered him in this way, then you are his witness. Matthew 10 and 18 says this. He's talking about in the days that we are living in now. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. He says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You know, we're living in a time, church, where people are being arrested for talking about Jesus. Amen? It happens in our neighboring countries. It happens all around the world, even today. And guess what? If things continue to trend the way that they are, you might get arrested for saying and speaking the name of Jesus. But guess what? I'm not going to shut up. I am not going to stop speaking of this glorious one whom I know. Acts 1.8 says, So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem meant their home. Judea meant their region. Amen? Samaria meant, meant you know, their state, and to the ends of the earth. You will be a witness for the glory of God because the purpose of his power, church, is for his plans and not for our pride. The purpose of his power is to be something that we use for his plan in our life. If you have tasted of his goodness and you've tasted of his glory, you can testify as a living witness of what he's done. 
I testify because I know what he's done. I know who he is. I know what he has done in my life. You see, I believe the results of God's glory should result in what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 verse 9. He says this, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. He said his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. And he said, I am weary of holding it in. He says, indeed, I cannot. Oh, man. His word is longing to get out. His word, church, is longing to get out. It's longing to be sent. It's longing to be said. And Jeremiah said, he said, his word is in my heart. It's like a fire. And the only way that I can you know, release this fire is I have to speak of him. I have to tell of him. Psalm 39 and verse 3 says this. It says, my heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. You see, what happened on Sunday should have caused this mouth to speak. It should have caused this mouth to testify. It should cause your life to be a witness of what he has done. How many of you remember that saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned? You don't play with God's fire. You don't play with the glory. Don't just contain it for yourself. Release it as it's been meant to be released. God's glory, his word, and his presence are not to be played with. Did you know that God's not a puppet? Amen? God's not our own personal genie whom, to which every time we get into trouble, we can call upon him and we're just supposed to expect him to just respond at our beck and call. You know that it pains the heart of God when we live that way? You know, I thank God for his grace. Amen. We need it so desperately. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for the million times that I have failed him. He still, when I repent and I come back to him, he'll receive me unto himself. But we can't mess with his grace. Paul said that the grace of God was not without effect in his life. He knew that it was there because he knew that his works alone would not add up. They wouldn't, you know, stack up. They wouldn't, you know, be everything that they needed to be in order for him to know God or to receive God or to get into the glory of God or to one day get into heaven. He knew that. But he also didn't tamper with his grace. He knew that he had to live his life in a holy way. He knew that he had to live his life in a measure that was pleasing to God. Did you know, church, it's time for us to listen to him? Amen. It's time for us to act on what he has done and said. It's time for us to speak unashamedly and boldly before all men and women. It's time to walk as witnesses and let the light of Jesus shine through our life and let the glory of God shine from our life because as we are obedient to his commands, church, he is faithful to fill your cup. You see, this life of obedience results in a pouring out, in an outpour in your life. But guess what? He will stop the flow if you did not pour that out into somebody else's life. He will stop the flow. He will say, he will shut the spigot of heaven and he will, he will close the reign of, of heaven. He will close the reign of God's glory if it is not used with, for its intended purpose. 
The Bible says, church, that it's him that sends the rain, but it's him that also stops the rain. At any time, church, he can withhold. At any time, he can stop. And so we have to heed the word. We have to understand that we must do with the word what he has commanded us to do. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you do his work and you work for the king, he will responsibly, like a perfect father, take care of you. I can be honest before you tonight and say that it was in the seasons where I wasn't as responsive to his voice that I began to suffer. Maybe it was relationally, maybe it was financially, maybe it was in different ways. Maybe it was in in ministry. There was things that went wrong. There was stuff that was just not panning out right. And maybe you've been there. You've gone through a season in your life. You say, man, it's been so hard. You know, in this area, you know, my my family life has been such a a challenge. Listen, walk in obedience and watch what God's going to do. Walk in obedience and just trust him in obedience. Say, Lord, I'm not focused on anything else, Lord, except for you. I wrote this down in my notes. I'll share it with you. It says, stop letting the devil's excuses keep you in disobedience before your heavenly father. At the end of the day, church, we're not going to be able to stand before God and say, sorry, I did nothing for you and your kingdom because the devil shut my mouth. You know that excuse is not going to work in heaven. You're not going to be able to stand before God and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I mean, I guess the devil just, you know, or I'm sorry, God. I was just, I was so shy. I was so, you know, this or that. Listen, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The last thing that any believer wants to hear is depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. God will respond and say, I gave you my Holy Spirit. He will respond, I gave you my Holy Spirit. I gave you my authority. I gave you my dominion to whom the devil must submit. You were carried and you were created to carry my glory. You were created to to carry my glory. You were designed to testify of my greatness. The encounters in which I showed you, the love that I poured into your life, they weren't only meant to comfort you, but rather to fulfill my word. 2 Corinthians 5 and 13 says, If we are out of our mind, some of you are looking at me like I'm out of my mind. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Amen. Amen? Amen. I would rather look like a fool to the world than a fool in the eyes of God. Listen, I don't care. You know, I have people send me nasty messages on Facebook all the time. And, and you know, they, they you know, post scripture and they put the little laughing face like, ah, like mocking God. I would rather look like a fool to the world. But be a friend of God than be a friend of the world and be a fool to God. He says here, he says, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. He says, for Christ's love compels us. For we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
Did you know the gospel is not about you? Amen. Did you know the gospel is not about your needs? Amen. Did you know the gospel is not about your comfort? Amen. Did you know that the gospel is not about your blessings and your prosperity and your victory and your breakthrough? That's part of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that through the victory of Jesus, we have victory over all things in this world. He said, I have overcome the world. Amen. So take heart. Trust in me. But guess what? The gospel is not about you. It says we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. That's how we're supposed to live. This is the mandate and the call of God upon our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, So praise be to the God of all comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Don't you thank him that he comforts you? Oh man, I'm so grateful that my father comforts me. I'm so grateful in the moments that I have experienced in my life, the moments of loss, the moments of hurt, the moments of pain, the moments of sickness, the moments of confusion. We've all had those moments. Those moments where you looked up to heaven and you said, God, why did this happen? Why did this go the way that it went, God? I don't understand, Lord. And guess what? The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, it doesn't end there. See, I thank him for the comfort. I thank him for the love. He says, but he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That financial blessing wasn't just for you. It wasn't so you could get things on your Amazon list. It wasn't so you could, you know, you know, go to the clearance section. I know you're responsible with the blessings of God, right? You know, you go to the clearance section and you, you find a lot of good things that you could get. No, it was to bless somebody else. It was to bless somebody else. The things that the Lord has done in your life, church, is always meant to benefit somebody else. It's always meant for somebody else that doesn't know his goodness, that hasn't tasted his glory, that hasn't received from heaven. It's so that they can know this God that you know. But church, people will be sorely mistaken if they think that God didn't, God didn't give them or make them the way they needed to be to fulfill his assignment. That's the worst excuse in the world. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need. Not some things. That's not partial. Last time I checked, everything means everything. Everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by its evil desires. Can I say this, church? How many of you know what a bench warmer is? <laughs> right? You know, it's the guy that didn't get to play in the game. He stayed on the sideline. He stayed in the bench. There will be no bench warmers in heaven. I'm telling you, there will be no 
bench warmers in heaven. I'll be bold enough to say there might be bench warmers in the church, but there's not going to be any bench warmers in heaven. I'll give you the final key. Maintaining the glory has everything to do with feasting on his word. Everything to do with feasting on his word. John 6 and 63 says, The spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. He says, The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. John 6 and 57, a few verses before that, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is Jesus speaking. You will feed on his word. You will feed on his life. You will feed on the pages of this, of this truth. He says, because the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and they died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. John, Luke chapter 24 says this, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. You know, church, that he gave his body for you? That's what the bread represents. That's what his bread represents. That's what he was, that's what he broke in that moment. He says, this is what I'm giving to you. And the verse 31 says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They saw what he who he was. They saw him for who he truly was. And it says this, and he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It says they got up and then once and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those with them and they assembled together saying, it is true. The Lord has risen. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon, it says. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, the eyes of the Spirit, church, can only see when they partaken of his word. The eyes of the Spirit can only see when they partaken of his life, his body, and his spirit. And unless this cycle of feeding on the word of God, experiencing his glory, and living in prayer remains, then the work will stop. If we forget to feed on his word, if we forget to live in prayer, if we forget to be a witness of his glory, it will stop. I've never forgotten that verse in Matthew 13, 58. It says, and Jesus did not do many miracles there for a lack of faith. You know, it takes faith to be a witness. See, that's part of this thing. It wasn't just about the signs and the wonders and the miracles. It takes faith to boldly speak of this truth, of this God who is unseen, but yet the Bible says in Colossians that he has made himself visible to the whole world. He might be unseen in the tangible, like you can't grasp him or hug him or touch him or, or feel just the, the presence or how big he actually is. But listen, church, the Bible says that his invisible qualities have been made visible so that man is without excuse. You know he's real. Amen. You know he's alive. Amen. You know that he is true. And if you believe such things in your heart and you believe such things in your life, then it's time to be a witness for his glory.
It is time to be a witness for his glory. I want to challenge you tonight to stay in the word. And remember what his disciples said. We're not our hearts burning while he talked to us. I'll be 100% honest with you. I felt fire on my hands since I began to speak. I feel the presence of God with me right now. I feel the presence of God when I open the word. I hear his voice so clear. This is for me too. Don't think I'm just talking to you, church. This is for me too. When I open the word, I feel the presence of God. Let nothing else concern you, church, but to know him and make him known. Let nothing else in this world concern you but to know him and make him known. To know his word so well that you finally live it out. To know it so well that you finally live it out. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And it goes on to say that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I have an urgency in my heart to, to tell you it's time to witness. It is time to witness. It's time to take the glory outside of the four walls of the church. Amen. It's time to tell somebody. It's time to send that message. It's time to make that phone call. It's time to go sit out with somebody and pray over their life. It's time to pray over the people that you know are far from God right now, but you know that God loves them endlessly and you know that his heart is for them. You know that he died for for their sins. You know that he died for that addiction that they're living in. Listen, it's time, church. It is time to witness.